The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to our podcast, The Tactical Take, where we discuss our thoughts on the markets, highlighting the opportunities and risks that we see in the current environment and how we're positioned in the tactical sleeves of the Natixis models to reflect this backdrop. My name is Jack Janisiewicz, Portfolio Manager and Lead Portfolio Strategist with Natixis Investment Managers Solutions, and I lead the Natixis Investment Managers Solutions Investment Committee. Quite a reversal of fortune during the month of November. The entire market pivoted on a dime on the back of the softer-than-expected consumer price inflation print early in the month. Equities rocketed higher, with the S&P 500 rising 5.59% for the month, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq up 4.51%. More importantly, the impact was felt strongly in the currency markets, with the trade-weighted dollar falling 5% in November, which helped boost non-dollar-denominated assets across the board. With the euro rallying over 5% versus the dollar during the period, it's no surprise that the stock 600 index, the benchmark index for developed market European equities, returned a whopping 11.5% in dollar terms for November. Emerging market equities were a huge beneficiary of a weak dollar as well. Add in the China zero COVID shift catalyst, and emerging market equities rose almost 15% for the month in dollar terms. On the fixed income side, it was all about duration. The benchmark 10-year Treasury yield tightened 44 basis points for the month, driven by the better-than-expected inflation news, which saw the U.S. yield curve massively steepen. With the front end of the curve pinned to the Fed funds rate, the long end of the curve rallied sharply, reflecting a better inflation outlook and an associated slowing economic backdrop. Spreads rallied across the board by roughly 50 basis points on average in credit for November, but the duration advantage in investment grade was a clear difference maker. The benchmark Bloomberg U.S. Corporate Investment Grade Index rallied almost 5% during the month. So, three days in November, that was it three days of equity market rallies that totaled close to 10% in cumulative performance for the S&P 500. And yet the index returned just 5.56% for the month. So what about those three days? All had a common theme, interest rates, interest rates, and interest rates. So let's take a look at what happened on each of those days. Early in the month, we got our first whiff of disinflation. October CPI was up 0.43% versus consensus expectations of 0.6%, a big downside surprise. Even more encouraging, core CPI came in at 0.272% versus 0.5% consensus. The pipeline of disinflation is finally showing up. Small beat, huge reaction. Market chatter was mixed in the run-up to the release. Some whispers of a soft print while others expected another hot upside surprise. But the key... Markets recoiled after giving back nearly half of the rally off of the mid-October lows. And more importantly, the bears had remained in control with sentiment only modestly off the lows, positioning still extremely light, cash positions extremely high, and all rallies being viewed as bear market rallies. A powder keg looking for a spark. And boy, did that small spark set off a face ripper of a rally. Now, about those details in the inflation print. Encouraging news anywhere you look. Food decelerated 0.6%, less than half the monthly pace in May. Core goods returned to deflation for the first time since March, marking only the second such negative print since April of 2020. 
Household furnishings plummeted into deflation. Apparel extended its deflationary move, and new car prices saw deceleration. The decline in used car prices accelerated, more than doubling the pace of price drops seen in September, helping to shave off nine basis points alone from the headline inflation rate. Pretty impressive. At long last, the pipeline of disinflation we knew was coming from supply chain improvements, bloated inventories, and shifting consumption has finally begun to filter into the official data. We've been saying for a while now that it was just a matter of time before the hard data caught up to the soft data. Well, guess what? The hard data is now finally converging with the soft data. Services saw their fair share of good news as well. We've been highlighting this component as the possible fly on the ointment for disinflation, Rent and owner's equivalent rent remain elevated, but decelerated substantially on a month-on-month basis. On the pandemic-affected services front, both car rental and airline fares fell in October. And one important line item to note, a small component with a big bite, health insurance. Health insurance is one of those categories that is a function of a methodological quirk. Health insurance costs are a function of prices and utilization, and this is calculated annually in September or October each year based on the prior year's change in retained earnings from health insurers. Higher retained earnings translates to lower health insurance costs and vice versa. 2021 saw a massive increase in health insurance utilization as the pandemic faded, which resulted in a decline in retained earnings. For the purposes of CPI calculations, That drop in retained earnings is converted into a monthly rate, which is then applied to the category over the full course of 2022. October saw the revised data released, and that data will be applied to the line item for the next year. That number flips from a 28% increase in health insurance cost over the past year to a 39% decrease over the next year. While your eyes may have glazed over after that explanation, the key takeaway here, this change results in a meaningful drag on CPI for a category that represents nearly 1% of the CPI basket. Yes, the annualized pace of October's CPI prints remain far above the Fed's 2% target, with headlines coming in at 5.4% and core at 3.3%. But the small beat relative to expectations had a more important takeaway. Lots of encouraging signs under the surface, with important implications pointing towards peak inflation. Does this change the outlook for a 50 basis point hike in December from the Fed? No. And a downshift does not equate to a pause, which does not equate to an end of the hiking cycle. That said, this print finally confirms what we knew was in the pipeline, and very well may begin a series of prints, which see those effects continuing to seep into the data. String a few more prints like this together and the die is cast for a pause in early 2023. More importantly, more prints like this and we've put a lid on the terminal rate, that peak in yields being in. More importantly, chopping off that upside uncertainty on the terminal rate helps to rein in an interest rate uncertainty. And for a market that's been one big rate trade, that means the potential end of the brutal multiple compression we've been seeing all year. And here's another thought. The path to a soft landing just got a little bit wider. The market continues to view recession as the base case, but we think the soft landing odds remain higher than consensus appreciates. Growth is certainly moderating, but still holding up, even under the crushing weight of a housing market that's ground to a halt. The labor market continues to moderate, with wage growth slowing back to a more sustainable trend, all without broad pain showing up. And many elements of inflation are indeed proving transitory abating as the economy finally normalizes. The cyclical deceleration in inflation is finally gaining momentum, but the question remains, where do we settle in structurally? 
That's the Fed's focus now, and that has important implications for policy levers. We've always said that the Fed has three levers to pull from monetary policy, the pace of hikes, the size of hikes, and the duration at which policy rates remain restrictive. The pace lever is done. Policy is restrictive. Time to be more surgical. No need for outsized hikes. With disinflationary forces finally showing up in mass and the peak in core inflation likely finally in, the terminal rate becomes less important to an extent as well. This leaves one lever left for the Fed to pull, the duration lever, higher for longer, and that will increasingly be the primary tool the Fed leans on to guide structural inflation back to target. You should start to hear the phrase two-sided risks more often now too, and the term two-sided risks will continue to seep into the Fed conversation. Two-sided reflecting the risk to over-tightening versus not doing enough. Should the inflation data continue to moderate similar to the November print, recognizing these two-sided risks becomes more important. Powell and company have every incentive to continue banging the hawkish drum, but the rhetoric is beginning to subtly shift as the data finally begins to cooperate. The terminal rate may finally be coming into sight, and as the terminal rate becomes clearer, interest rate volatility should begin to decline. And with all asset classes effectively being priced off of the risk-free rate in the U.S. Treasury curve, a drop in Treasury market volatility helps make that pricing a little bit easier. And that means risk markets should continue to find their footing. And speaking of two-sided risks, the minutes for the November 2nd FOMC meeting were released later in the month, highlighting just this language. Chair Powell argued about the need for a higher 2023 dot in their summary of economic projections, or the more affectionately termed dot plot. But the minutes suggested more disagreement amongst Fed officials, with some participants arguing that there is an increasing risk that the Fed has heightened too much. Fed staff economists also noted that the risk of a recession was about on par with the risk of their baseline scenario coming to fruition. Code word, two-sided risks. What should be noted here? The minutes were taken from a meeting that took place before the CPI print that we just discussed. Were those CPI numbers in hand at the time of the Fed decision in early November? If they were, would the rhetoric have been more dovish? Regardless, two-sided risks are becoming part of the Fed's vernacular, and markets reacted accordingly. Rates lower and equities higher. The last of those three days that mattered, Chair Powell's address to the Brookings Institution. A few highlights from his comments. One print does not make a trend. While October's inflation data was certainly a welcome downside surprise, we have seen several instances of a softer inflation print that has been followed up with upside surprises. And one print is far from demonstrating clear and convincing evidence that inflation is actually declining. He also hinted that the ultimate level of rates probably needed to be revised somewhat higher, implying that the next set of dots in their summary of economic projections would see an increase in that projected terminal rate. And finally, Powell acknowledged that the pace in rate hikes would likely moderate and the next time for moderating the pace of increases could come as early as the next meeting. Nothing really new on any of these fronts as the market has already repriced both a higher dot plot and a slowing pace of hikes anyway. Powell did acknowledge that the progress thus far in tightening policy, saying that timing of the moderation and the pace of hikes is far less significant than the question of how much further rates need to rise in order to arrest inflation, as well as the length of time necessary to hold policy at restrictive levels. There are those levers again that we spoke about earlier. The message here, the cycle ceiling for rates may not be as high as the market is expecting but holding rates at that restrictive level might last longer than the market is expecting. The one interesting point to highlight, however, Powell specifically addressed the lag and shelter CPI. 
Due to methodology and base effects, shelter inflation has been expected to take some time before it works its way into the data. So it was interesting to hear him note that the real trend observed in market measures is falling. Housing is one of the stickiest components in most lagging parts of the market, and with Powell effectively de-emphasizing the housing component in services CPI, this gave the market some confidence that the Fed is not really looking into the proverbial rearview mirror. Modestly supportive comments, and the markets responded accordingly. And I should probably touch on China for a second. Chinese equities sprinted higher, with encouraging signs related to reopening emerging after the party Congress meeting in late October. Recent anti-COVID zero protests likely accelerated the forced reopening measures with rising social unrest risking domestic stability, a key threat to the existence of the Chinese Communist Party. On the COVID vaccine and treatment front, the rollout of an inhalable vaccine, the approval of BioNTech-Pfizer's vaccine for foreign residents, and the mass production of Paxlovid could all be a difference maker. International flights have increased and relaxed quarantine requirements for inbound travelers have been announced. A maskless President Xi at the G20 meetings in Bali, as well as several high-profile multinational events announced, including Formula One Grand Prix in Shanghai for April 16th, these have all signaled in an evolution in COVID protocol. And lastly, the government recently unveiled 20 measures to make current COVID rules less onerous. Some of these measures included limited lockdowns only, contact tracing but with a limited scope, home quarantine for those meeting some quarantine criteria, no more citywide mass testing, with neighborhood PCR testing stations remaining open for those in need of testing on a voluntary basis. These moves all meant to restore normal life work order, including reopening in-store dining and restoring public transportation. For schools and colleges that have not sent students home, normal school routine and classes should continue. All of these signs point towards authorities preparing to reopen, ending the zero-COVID policy, in changing the government's reaction function to the outbreaks. While positive in the interim, we caution, though, that any reopening path is certainly going to be bumpy and nonlinear. Risks of a massive surge and limited health resources available to deal with such a spread are still a concern. So what do we do this month? A few things. Within the strategic assets allocation of the models, we added a new active manager and fund, Von Nelson Select, in an attempt to increase diversification among our U.S. equity managers. The move was funded at the expense of diluting down our existing U.S. equity managers with the aim to modestly reduce the overall contribution to portfolio beta from an individual security selection. On the tactical side, the fund rotated out of its position in large cap growth and into the equally weighted S&P 500 ETF in an attempt to diversify away from mega cap tech names. While we still see upside in tech, we expect the leadership going forward to shift away from the traditional FANG names and into some of the other areas of the market. We also swapped our minimum volatility exposure for high beta, attempting to get more exposure to the cyclical portion of the market. With rates peaking and expected to move lower, we are repositioning sector exposure away from areas of the market that were net beneficiaries of higher rates, while also getting somewhat more offensively positioned, with the expectations of a rally into the end of the year that spills over into early part of 2023. And while we have had an underweight in non-dollar assets, we hold firm on these allocations. The recent move in the U.S. dollar in non-U.S. dollar-related assets appears to be more short-term in nature and not a wholesale change in trend to us. China's COVID strategy shift as well as the weakening in oil and natural gas prices certainly reduced the tail risks for Asia and Europe respectively, sparking that short-term reversal. However, 
we expect the China reopening to remain quite bumpy and the inflation and growth risks in Europe to remain very challenged. As such, we still hold firm in our current positioning, despite the moves we've seen in these areas recently. To wrap up our podcast, The Tactical Take, this is Jack Chanisiewicz. Hope you enjoyed the commentary and thanks for listening. Important information. For listeners outside the United States, Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcasts disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult im.natixis.com slash intl slash podcasts dash and dash other media. Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis Investment Managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis Investment Managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments, do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies. Collectively Natixis, such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds or other financial products, provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888 Boylston Street, Boston, MA02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Manager Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. LLC Natixis Advisors, LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC Ad Tracks 5343600111. Expiration date July 31, 2023. POD 37 December 2022.